And then we also make this with an operating laser that your hands and white hair that she's not feeling too well. Shout I pray that the sermon we're about to, I'm about to share today that you will actually speak through me and you will let this time of fellowship be quite memorable and we can take something away from it, oh Lord. In the mighty name of Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen. Yeah. yeah. Um, technology failed, but um, humans as normal, there's always so many options we can have. Yeah. So the title of my sermon today um, it's titled, um, How Far Do I Trust in God? I was thinking, maybe I should say, you know, how much do I trust in God? But, um, but then I got an inspiration from a very old African proverb. And it goes like this. It says, if you want to go very fast... Walk alone. But if you want to go very far, walk with others. And it's really quite interesting that um, there is a subtle difference between going far and going very, very quick. And very much our life as a, as a, as a, as a Christian, it's a journey. It's, um, it's not how quickly or how spiritual we are, or how fired up we are on a Sunday. It's really how we are in the long term. And, and so it is a journey. And to begin, um, to provide a bit of context, um, if we can, it starts from the book of Genesis 27, verse 10. It's a very familiar story. It is um, the story of Jacob in the Old Testament. And I'm going to start. Um, when Isaac was old and his eyes were so weak and he could no longer see, he called for Esau, his older son, and said to him, My son, here I am, he answered. Isaac said, I am now an old man and don't know the date of my death. Now then, get your weapons, your quiver and your bow and go out to the open country to hunt some wild game for me. Prepare me the kind of tasty food I like and bring it to me to eat so that I may give you my blessing before I die. Now Rebekah was listening as Esau spoke to his son, as Isaac spoke to his son Esau. When Esau left for the open country to hunt for game and bring it back, Rebekah said to her son, Jacob, Look, I overheard your father say to your brother Esau, bring me some game and prepare me some tasty food to eat so that I may give you my blessing in the presence of the Lord before I die. Now, my son, listen carefully and do what I tell you. Go out of the flock and bring me two choice young goats so that I can prepare some tasty food for your father just the way he likes it. Amen. The first... Um, topic I'm going to share, the first lesson is, I want it my way. Bargaining with God. 
This may seem like a mother's conspiracy or a, a very pushy soccer mom or something like that when you look at Rebecca. But we are all very familiar with the story. But Jacob is no boy scout himself. Because yeah. um, when you look at his response in verse 11 to this grand plan that his mom had laid, his response was, Jacob said to Rebecca, his mother, but my brother is a hairy man, and I am a man with smooth skin. What if my father tortures me? I would appear to be tricking him and would bring down a curse on myself rather than a blessing. This is not the response of a man who doesn't want to be part of this at all. Let's not forget that. Because um, earlier in the, in the book of Genesis, we had the situation where um, Esau came home really furnished there. He was hungry. And, um, and Jacob was cooking some very delicious pot porridge. Yeah, that was what the Bible, this was in 26, um, earlier in Genesis 26. Yeah. And, um, and rather than Jacob give his brother um, some porridge, you know, to eat food, you know, your brothers, your siblings, yeah. Show some love. No. Jacob is a very, very shrewd man. I think it's probably a combination of a lawyer and Alan Sugar combined yeah, when you think about him. So in a way, he's really been a very shrewd guy. So his mom already knew that, you know, I know who you are. We are exactly alike. Yeah. But at the same time, Rebecca was doing this because earlier in the book of Genesis, when she was pregnant, God already revealed to Rebecca that you know, two, two nations are going to be inside you. The younger is going to be over the elder. So Rebecca, so when, when you think about it, Rebecca could almost say, you know, like if we say in Nigeria, heaven helps those who help themselves. Yeah, I'm sure it's probably universal everywhere. And we will even go one step further and say, God is not really going to step down from heaven to help you. You really need to push some humph into it uh, to really get to where you are. And this is, when you look at Rebecca, you could almost say that, you know, this is where she was really driving her. But God had already laid his plan for us. And we decided to go our way. And when I look at the story of Jacob and the story of Rebecca, I could hardly find two people who are exactly like me and my mom better than in the Bible. I almost, I mean, this is, I mean, this is me. And I think many of us probably relate to that as well. Because you feel that you deserve it. You feel that you're entitled to it. So what's a little bit of help to get to where you are going? But that's not really God's way, is it? That's our way. It's almost like we are redrawing the rules of the boardroom of engagement with God and say, yes, because Heavenly Father, when he, he created each and every single one of us, he said, I want you to live a fulfilled and righteous life. I want you to grow. I want you to be happy. He said, do not be anxious about anything. He told us that. But no, I want to plan it. 
I want to be responsible for every single step of the way. And this really takes me back to my penultimate year at university. This was from your second year going to your third, from your first to your second year, it's really important for those of us who went to university here in the UK, it's really important for you to get an internship. Especially in the 2000s when I went to uni, it's really key for you to get an internship. Because if you get an internship in that summer, between your first to your second year, you will have something really strong to put on your CV as you're about to go from your second to your third year, which is when you start applying for jobs to get employed. So by the time you finish in the summer, come September, you're already, you walk in towards them, your pressures, graduate training, so you have a badge of honor and feel really accomplished there. And in my first to my second year, in my, in, in my summer of, second, of first to second year, I applied for loads of internships, yeah. I couldn't get any at all. Then also my second, when I finished my second year, the summer leading up to that as well, I tried so hard. I even tried harder than the previous year. I mean, I, I, I got selected to go for a week's internship at Goldman Sachs. So I was thinking, yes, I'm already on my track to be an investment banker, you know. It, it was because if you study accounting and finance, you have two tracks you could follow. Either you go into full-time banking or you go into professional services, yeah, be a chartered accountant, an auditor. That one was like secondary on my list, yeah. It was more the shiny lights of the city of London, yeah. That was what drew me, yes, you know. It, it, it was that. I put it, I did everything I could, yeah. Even went as far as, you know, embellishing my CV, you know, any society that is, that's got an opening for any position of leadership, you know, I'm in it, you know. Student union government, I met you, I got, a, became a rep to represent my faculty, even though I have absolutely no interest in anybody's welfare. I must really put my hands up, yeah. That, that, is, the, that is the truth, yeah. Because everything I was doing, it was my way. <coughs> When we went to Goldman Sachs, you know, with selected few candidates across the UK, you know, we saw the way they were. There and then, I knew that the life of an investment banker was not for me. I knew it. To the point that I was saying, I was not really going to corporate finance, I was just going to asset management because I can finish at six o'clock, yeah, and come back home, yeah, and still be with my wife, potential <laughs> wife, and my house. So, but, but the thing was, I was still pushing, you know, God was revealing this to me. I was still pushing really hard against it to the point that, you know, when the summer was over, I was so jaded and, you know, the interviews did not go right. Almost, almost close, you know. Gary selected for everything and you just feel bad. <laughs> but everything I was doing was not God's plan. Because there was, then I wasn't a Christian. There was no righteousness about it. It was just about me, nothing else. Not what God has planned for me, even though God has revealed to me that, you know, to me, I really don't think this is the path you should take, but my pride, my ego, all my friends, yeah, everybody, everybody's going in that direction. If I don't go, that means I'm not as good as them, so I must really step up. And it carried on like this. And even in, my, in our relationship, I wanted my way. 
bait as husbands to our wives, fathers to our children. We do not, I mean, I personally, when we know fully well what we're supposed to do, we know it that, okay, maybe at this point I shall actually go out there and apologize. But no, I would not because that's not really the right way. It doesn't feel right. And we keep planning. And then what happens as if, if when we move, when we fast forward in the story of Jacob, after he got a blessing, um, we discovered this in the, the book of, I believe it, this was chapter, it's still um, 27 from 30 to 36. So here, after Isaac finished blessing him and Jacob had scarcely left his father's presence, his brother Esau came in from hunting. He too prepared some tasty food and brought it to his father. Then he said to him, my father, sit up and eat some of my game so that you may give me your blessing. His father Isaac asked him, who are you? I am your son. Isaac trembled violently and said, who was it then that hunted game and brought it to me? I ate it just before you came and I blessed him. And when Esau heard his father's words, he burst out with, with a loud and bitter cry and said to his father, bless me. But he said, you are too late. Your brother came deceitfully and took your blessing. Esau said, isn't he rightly named Jacob, which means a deceiver? He has deceived me twice. He took my birthright and now he's taking my blessing. Then he asked, haven't you reserved any blessing left? But at this point it was too late. We can look at, this is a very complex and really deep Bible passage here because it deals with you know, two siblings, rivalry, Jacob, Esau, he, he had already sold his birthright, yeah, so to speak. And which is not really right thing for Jacob to have done in the first place. And as any one of us, how many of us here is, um, is a first born in their family? Yeah. For, you're another first born, the first son, yes. We all know there it comes with a certain level of default. <laughs> yeah. default, default privilege, yeah, isn't it? That your parents kind of have this um, expectation and obligation of you. And at the same time, the, the, the culturally and, and society as well gives you a, a tiny level of deference because you are considered kind of like the head of your family, should your parents not be around. And in a way, Jacob had already secured this birthright with just a bowl of porridge, yeah, effectively. But he knows fully well that securing the, the, the right to be the first yeah, does not necessarily confer on him the benefit of the blessing. Because Jacob is a very, very detailed man. He pays extreme attention to detail. If you notice him and his mom, because his mom said, go and bring young goats, yeah? not sheep. 
a, um, a goat smells very different. A goat has a very, it's good, because back home we do eat a lot, we do have a lot of goat meat. Yeah. It's got this very sweet, aromatic smell. It's quite distinct. Yeah. So when you want to compare it to a wild game, a, a wild game usually has a certain smell. So the mom actually knows that, you know, let's get this level of detail right. Yeah. Let's cover your neck, you know, so that in case your father touches you, nothing was left. Yeah. And okay, your father cannot, because he can smell, we cannot just bring anything because he cannot see, you know, they took advantage. And likewise, ourselves, you know, when we want to be very, very st stubborn, and in a way we like to call it pragmatism, in the things that we do, we work so hard to justify our actions. Mm. And in the process of justifying our actions, we become so blind to the consequences that will ultimately follow. And when the consequences start following through, which is the second part of my lesson, the consequences of disobeying God, then at that point, everything we really strive for almost becomes meaningless because we arrive back to square where we started from. Because Jacob, further down the passage, he, were, he had to flee from the house. Because his mom, um, later in, still in um, chapter 20 and um, chapter 27, further down, because Esau was so mad, because he's already lost his birthright. Now his blessing, which he, right, he feels he rightfully deserved. And pretty much every, when we look at any natural form of court that Esau must go to, I think they will very much rule in his favor. And Jacob knew this. And he was like, I am going to kill you when my, when my father goes away. And it was at that point that the consequences of the action that Rebecca and Jacob did started dawning on them. And Jacob's ultimate prize was to actually be in his father's house. You know, because if somebody gives you a blessing, it's a blessing to take over everything, all the future generation, all the future things that will come afterwards. He couldn't. He had to flee. And in that period, he went on a 20-year sojourn in another land uh, of, his pair, of, um, of, his, um, of his grandfather in Haran to go and stay with Laban to go and hide himself from his, father, from his brother's fury. And that's the, really the consequence when we veer off course yeah, from what God has already laid down for us. We want to do things our way. What happened? A small argument with your spouse, with your children, instead of us to actually reflect. My natural inclination is to more or less create a debit and a credit. Yeah. What have I done wrong? <coughs> Why is it like this? And rather than me being quite reflective that I've really gone this far because I've not been doing things the way God I'm supposed to, I'm supposed to be loving, I'm supposed to be caring, I'm supposed to, it's supposed to be unconditional. But because I did not, I've now gone back to 
the same beginning where I was, yeah. So all the pyric victory that I believe I've had, everything just evaporating. You're back exactly to where you were, you know. There is just no shortcut. When we feel we deviate from God's plan, we are not doing anybody any favor. We just need to be strong and just believe in him, essentially. And Jacob was ultimately paid back in his own coin massively. Because Laban, he is no Boy Scout himself. That's true. They play exactly the same line. Because Jacob thought, you know, I want to marry a younger daughter. Let me give you an offer you will not resist. I will serve you for seven years yeah, so that you can give me your youngest daughter. When I think about it, seven years seems really long to work for anything, yeah. even a woman, yeah. let's face it. <laughs> yes. But the reason why Jacob proposed this was because in, in that culture, the eldest must marry first. I must, this is my inference. The eldest need to marry first yeah, before the younger can get married. Because, which was what Laban now threw, threw back at him and said, you know, when he got deceived, they give him Leah instead of Rachel. He told him, he said, in our culture, the, you know, the eldest must marry first yeah, before we give you the younger one. Oh, and then it's like, okay, dude, you know, just chill. How about, let's finish the honeymoon with the first one. How about another seven years? And Jacob was speechless because he knows that, you know, finally he's met his own match here. And it goes on like that, you know, his wages was changed 20 times. You know, he was, you felt like, you know, why is this happening to me? Until he kept, you know, he, because he, he told him, okay, you give me the striped um, goat, I will have the plain one. You know, he's always cunning, always planning, yeah. Jacob, in the process, he got so many lambs than, the, that than Laban, that things got to a point. And, we carry on like this, whereby we keep recycling the same old grief over and over and over again. And ultimately, we have to come back to God. And in the story of Jacob, he came right back. Because in Genesis 31, verse 3, And the Lord, at this point, Laban's sons were really all over Jacob because they were not really happy with him anymore. And the, the Lord said to Jacob, go back to the land of your fathers and to your relatives, and I will be with you. God has already told Jacob, he's already been in this land for 20 years, whereby everything is in, on his plan, everything is about to go up in smoke here. Laban could take his wife, his children, and say, go back, because Laban knew where he did, where he came from. So he knows that he's, he's a wanted man. And if a man is wanted, you know, and you're practically running away from the law, you know, Laban could ultimately tell him, no, you're not taking anything away. And all this 20 or 30 years that Jacob had been working with Laban could almost go. And it was at this point that God, in his infinite wisdom, which is where, you know, God's grace and love in our life is unconditional, he stepped in and told them, go to where, go back. It's time for you to go now. 
What did Jacob do? Instead of him to actually do a proper goodbye, he decided to be more cunning again, do it in his own way while still being controlled. No. And eventually Laban caught up with him. And at that point, there was, he was completely out of tricks. Yeah. And finally, it's when Jacob ultimately submitted to God. I think that was the, that was the journey of his life. Yeah. He started from always bargaining, planning. He lived the consequences. And eventually, when you've tried all the tricks, you've tried everything in your power, you just come back. There's nothing else. He had to come back to God because Jacob, when he was fleeing from, um, from Canaan to Haran, the, the place where he actually wrestled with God, if you read that verse in more detail, it was, an, you know, Jacob made an offer to God. It wasn't, a it wasn't unconditioned. It said, if you take me to this land I'm going, where I'm fleeing from my brother, and if you let me return, make me very successful, then I will serve you. That was Jacob's view. You know, and it's, I mean, this, this, I mean, Jacob is a bold man, you know. You know, when it comes to someone who is really confident, yeah, I think he's so sure about himself, about his wisdom, his ability. And many of us are, because we feel, you know, God has endowed us with a certain level of intelligence, <coughs> and talent, and we feel we can always use it. And this was Jacob on his way, on his way back, on his way to, to, um, to Haran, to meet Laban. And in 30 years, he had his ups and downs. He still has not changed fully, because when God tell him leave, he still decided to be cunning. But his ultimate submission came. You, it, it was in verse, um, Genesis 32. And there from 9 to 10. Then Jacob prayed, O God of my father Abraham, God of my father Isaac, O Lord, who said to me, go back to your country and to your relatives, and I will make you prosper. I am unworthy of all the kindness and faithfulness you have shown your servant. I had only my staff when I crossed this Jordan, but now I have become two groups. Save me, I pray, from the hand of my brother Esau, for I am afraid he will come and attack me, and also the mothers of my children. And this is a complete transformation, because you could always say that, you know, he has seen, he has saw, and ultimately, God had conquered him. And, and, and I think most of us, it's only when we've actually gone through the rigors of life, the challenges of life, our actions, that's when we eventually come back to God and eventually claim what he had already given us, absolutely free from the beginning, which is just submit. And nothing really exemplifies the ultimate submission that God is really aiming for in us more than the life of Christ. Because 
Jesus Christ, he exemplifies, you know, that ultimate representation of complete faith in God. Utter submission. No questions asked. The consequences were not great because God told Jesus Christ, you know, I want you to be the lamb, yeah, that is going to be a sacrifice to the whole world. And at the same time, God laid a very gory picture to him that you will be nailed on the cross. I guess... If I have the kind of power that Jesus Christ has, I think I would like to make my time on the cross quite more comfortable than that. But he did not. He had the power to. He did not. And, he, and, and this ultimately represents what it means for us to be a Christian, what sets us apart. And us having this at the back of our mind, when we are struggling, to actually follow God's plan. When we think about Jesus Christ, you know, the pains he's gone through to save us, for, to guarantee our redemption, I think we can ultimately feel that level of assurance and confidence that, you know, following God's way, it may seem very hard or incomprehensible, but the aftermath, yeah, afterwards, There is nothing but reward and peace. And to when Daniel was doing the welcome, this morning he was talking about Romans, it was about let us think um, good thoughts. Do not let don't let don't let us allow worry to 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 burden us down. Like you say your accident, you could be asking yourself, why did this happen to me? In the ultimate scheme of things, in the grand scheme of things, yeah, there could be, nobody knows why. It just happens. And only God knows the reason why it happens, yeah. And we could be anxious. And, and I'm going to get close with Philippians 4, 6. It says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, Present your request to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Amen. Thank you.